Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Luke, chapter 3, so grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. If you have been with us, you know that we left off the last time, Luke chapter 3, that's where we are today, we left Jesus who was increasing in wisdom, stature, and in favor with men. Look at Luke chapter 2, look at verse 52. Jesus increased, and y'all read it with me, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with men. We move to chapter 3 today. Chapter 3 is approximately 18 years later, and now Luke turns our attention to uh, Jesus' cousin, John, who continued to grow strong in the spirit, and he lived in the desert until the day of his public ministry. Now, how do we know that? Well, we know that because chapter 1, verse 80, tells us that John lived in the desert until he came forth in public ministry, which brings us in chapter 3 here. Now, if you listen, give me your attention, if you're one of those history people or you enjoy history, you like to study biblical history, you are going to love today's sermon because it is filled uh, with history. The title of my sermon today is The Road That John Built. We have a lot to cover today, so we better dive right in. Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Saints, if you're looking at it, say amen. Amen. Now in the fifth year... Of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, Herod, being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria, and the region of Trachonitis, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene. Saints, stop right there. Give me your attention. Yes, we have a lot to cover, but we have to stop right there. Remember I told you, listen, remember in the beginning of our study in Luke, I told you that Luke was a physician, that Luke was a doctor. He also wrote the gospel of Luke. Being a physician, being a doctor, he has a very trained mind, and he has a very scientific mind. Mind. And with that trained and scientific mind, Luke dates very carefully and he dates very specifically. 
You want to notice again, go ahead and look at it in verse 1, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. This puts us around the time frame, if you're taking notes, you can write this in your margin. It puts us in around the time frame of A.D. 27 to 29. Notice then Luke gives us five names of rulers around that time that this is taking place. First of all, he tells us Tiberius Caesar. Now, Tiberius Caesar was born with the name Tiberius Claudia Nero. And he succeeded his stepfather, Caesar Augustus. Ding, 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 ding. Does that ring a bell? Caesar Augustus, don't you remember? He's the one that said, who sent out a decree and said, let all of the world be taxed and all of the world turned on its heels and went back to their hometown and Mary and Joseph went back to Bethlehem and there registered and there had Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And then Luke mentions Pontius Pilate. Now get this, for a long time I was doing some study, or should I impress you, I was doing some research, some research yesterday, and I found out, get this, for a long time, the world of science dismissed this part of the New Testament because they said that there was no evidence of Pontius Pilate. Then later on, when an amphitheater in Caesarea Philippi was uncovered by archaeologists, they found a stone. And on the stone, it said, Pontius Pilotus, governor. And once again, the scholars crawl back into their holes because God's word is always true. Somebody please say amen. And clap your hands. How about this side? Clap your hands. And someone once said, every time a spade goes in the ground, it further proves the word of God. Oh, that can't be so. That can't be so. We dismiss this part of the New Testament. They keep on digging. They'll find something else. God's word is true. And when is the History Channel going to get it? I had to stop watching that nonsense. Always looking for Jesus. I'm like, these are smart folk too. These folk got PhDs. These are smart folk. They looking for Jesus. I'm like, hey, I'm, hey, I'm from Philly. I got a 12th grade education. I can tell you where he is. Y'all want to know? Call me. Call a brother. It's craziness. God's word is always true. At the same time, notice Pontius Pilate was the governor, the Bible tells us, go ahead and peek at it. He was the governor of Judea and he was in charge for five years. And get this, guys, he was in charge for five years and he made a lot of mistakes while he was in charge. One of the biggies mistakes that he made and actually it was his first mistake. It happened as he got on the throne. He had some banners made with the image of Tiberius Caesar, and he had all these soldiers march through Rome. Well, this, of course, offended the Jews because the Jews would see any image as idolatry. And so they demanded that he get rid of the 
banners. Pilate then gathered all the Jews into the amphitheater and he put a sword to their throats and told them not to say one more word. And the Jews did something that Pilate and the Romans never expected. They got on the ground and they stretched out their necks and they said, go ahead and cut our throats, but we won't stop protesting. So when Rome saw the Jews were willing to die for an image, they realized they were dealing with some tough Jews and they removed the banners. Big mistake because he lost respect. There were a series of other mistakes that he made till finally, don't you remember at the crucifixion, When he wanted to let Jesus go, the people said, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar's. In other words, they were saying, we're going to tell Caesar on you. The last thing he needed was someone to go tell Caesar he made yet another mistake. And so you know the story, they crucified Jesus. Well, then notice another person we have in our text. We have Herod. Go ahead and look at it. The Tetrarch. Now, what does anybody know what a Tetrarch is? I know. You want me to tell you? I'm going to tell you anyway. The word Tetrarch, if you're taking notes, you write this down. The word Tetrarch means one who holds an imperial office. One who holds an imperial office. So we have Herod, the holder of the imperial office in Galilee, and his brother Philip, who is the holder of an imperial office. Philip is of Ituria, and that is in the region of Trachonitis. Licinius, the holder of an imperial office of Abilene. Now, the thing I want to point out here, note this, saints, there are two Herods mentioned. First of all, there's Herod Antipas, the Tetrarch of Galilee. That's Herod Antipas. And then Herod Philip, he's a Tetrarch of Ituria. Now, remember I told you in time past that Herod, stay with me, Herod is not a name, it's a title. You also want to note, just like Caesar isn't a name, Caesar is a title, the Caesar, the Herod. It's a title. You also want to note that Herod the Great isn't mentioned here. Herod the Great, get this, he had 14 sons. Before he died, he divided his kingdom between three of those boys, Philip, Antipas, and Archelaus. Herod the Great, as you know, if you've been here at Calvary, Herod the Great was a small man with a short man's complex. Herod the Great was the great Herod because he was a great builder. He built Masada. You can Google this. I've been there many times. Masada is an amazing fortress. Herod built Masada. Herod built the second temple. Herod built colossal structures all in the attempt to uh, be, you know, a megalomaniac, the greatest builder who ever lived. Herod, not only was he a great builder, but he was also a very wicked man. He was a very cruel man and he was a very paranoid man. Herod had 12 wives. 
Which, side note, I don't know how he did that. I got one. And I'm just working. I've been 26 years of working on my one. Say amen, fellas. Some of the wives are like, you better not say amen. He had 12 wives. He had one of them killed. Uh, He had two sons and a brother-in-law because he didn't want them, get this, to succeed him on the throne. Wicked, cruel, everyone hated Herod. And he knew that everyone hated him. He knew that when he died, that no one would cry at his funeral. So he set out a mandate that the Roman officers were to go through Jerusalem and to collect all of the prominent people of Jerusalem, arrest them and keep them. And then when he died, they were to kill all the prominent leaders of Jerusalem so that the people would have something to cry about because he knew that no one would cry at his death. It was a common saying in those days that it was safer to be Herod's pig than to be his son. So he died and his sons are mentioned in verse one. Saints, look at verse two. If you're looking at it, say, I'm looking at it. While Annas and Caiaphas were high priests. Will you underline that, please? While Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to who? Underline that. John was the son of Zacharias. Zacharias was a priest, which makes John a PK kid, which explains a lot of his unusual behavior. Let's just say that. And we'll leave that alone. The word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. And he went into the region all around Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough ways smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Saints, stop right there. Give me your attention. Annas and Caiaphas. Listen, this is very important and very different. Annas and Caiaphas were both high priests. At this time, there were two high priests. That's unusual. And the reason that there were two high priests is because, number one, the Jews recognized Annas as their high priest because Annas was of the lineage of Aaron. Caiaphas, the Romans appointed Caiaphas as high priest so that they could have a puppet priest. So you see, when Rome took over, they wanted to be in charge of Jerusalem, but that wasn't going to happen. So they appointed Caiaphas as high priest. So there are two high priests a Roman appointee, and a Jewish high priest after the order of Aaron. Again, at this time in chapter three, saints, what I'm trying to get you to see is that this is a very unusual time in biblical history. And I can't help but to say that I believe that we are living in very unusual times in U.S. history. Are y'all getting this? We are living in precarious times. 
We are living honestly, and I know somebody going to think this, oh, y'all been talking about the return of Jesus for 2,000 years. I believe that Jesus is coming soon. And I believe that because of the precarious times in which we live. Because the Bible says in the last days, men will be calling wrong right and right wrong. Do you... Uh, do y'all look at the news? I look at the news and get depressed. But people, it's weird. Things are strange. People today are calling wrong right and right wrong. We are living in precarious times. And I believe that all of the things that we're seeing in the, the days in which we live are all of the things that the Bible talks about are the precursor of the return of Jesus Christ someday. I'm happy about it. Are you? I'm happy about it. It's coming soon. Unusual times. And it was in this time, watch this, it was during this time that the word of God came to John. Now, again, this is very interesting because this is the only time in the New Testament as I could find it. The only time in the New Testament where it says the word of God came to, in this case, John. The only time over and over and over, read your Bibles, you will find in the Old Testament, we have that phrase often. And the word of God came to Elijah and the word of God came to Isaiah and the word of God came to Jeremiah. But it's interesting, Luke chapter 16, verse 16, you write that down. It tells us the law and the prophets were until John. So John the Baptist is the last of the Old Testament prophets. And this is the last time you see the word, the words and the word of God came to. And it's in regard to John the Baptist. Very interesting that Jesus said of those born among women, John the Baptist is the greatest prophet who ever lived. Think about that for a minute. Greater than David, greater than Jeremiah, greater than Malachi, Malachi if you're Italian. He is the greatest prophet who ever lived. Why? Why is he the greatest prophet who ever lived? Well, number one, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. He is the prophet that the prophets prophesied about. Don't you like that? He is the prophet that the prophets prophesied about. What do you mean, Rodney? Malachi chapter three, verse one tells us, behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And then in Isaiah chapter 40, verse three, it tells us the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make straight in the desert a highway for our God. These are prophecies from prophets that are written about the prophet John the Baptist, which makes him the greatest of all of the prophets because the prophets prophesied about the prophet John the Baptist. Don't ask me to say that again. Are you getting me? Get the CD. He's a great prophet. Not only is he the prophet that the prophets prophesied about, but secondly, he's a great prophet because all, you're going to love this, all the prophets 
of all the prophets, John the Baptist is the only prophet who could take his finger and point and say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jeremiah and Isaiah and David, all of the prophets would have longed to do that. But John the B, the greatest prophet that ever lived, had the privilege to point his finger and see the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the interesting thing about this, in that he is the greatest prophet of all of the prophets, is that he never did a sign. Are you with me? He never did a miracle. He never healed anyone. And the Bible tells us that he was the greatest that ever lived. Keep your finger right here in chapter three. Turn with me four chapters. Come go with me to chapter seven. Look at chapter seven. Look at chapter seven. Look at verse 28. Chapter seven, verse 28. Love to hear the sound of pages turning. Chapter seven, verse 28. If you're looking at it, say amen. Amen. For I say to you, this is Jesus talking. For I say to you, among those born of women, that there is not a greater prophet than who? John the Baptist. But he, now watch this, he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. That is amazing. You mean to tell me, this is what Jesus said, the least in the kingdom We're talking about the kingdom, the least in the kingdom. That would be the universal church, not the least at Calvary Chapel. Tell me you knew that. The least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. You know, I really believe that statement makes the devil tremble. I really believe that. Every born again believer in this room is greater than the greatest prophet who ever lived. And listen, Satan is hoping that you don't realize that. Every born again believer in this room, the saints who got saved last week. Y'all might be here right now. I don't know. You are greater than the greatest prophet whoever lived, according to Jesus. And the reason, listen, the reason you are greater than the greatest prophet who ever lived is because, listen, because of the clarity of the message, write that down. Because of the clarity of the message, what do you mean, Rodney? Well, listen, John would point and say, behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. We know that later he was imprisoned and we know that he was beheaded. But the believer today, we can say with surety and clarity that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is the one that the prophets prophesied about. He is the Messiah. That makes us greater because we've had the privilege to witness and bear testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? Are you with me? We've witnessed the testimony of the resurrection. And because we know, according to Scripture, 
that Jesus actually rose from the grave, that makes us greater than the greatest prophet. Now listen, don't get the big head. You know, I got some of y'all thinking now, I'm greater than the greatest prophet. I'm great. We get your head gets so big, we can't get you out that door. Don't get the big head now because to understand something, your greatness comes because you are in the great one. You are in Christ. Your greatness comes because you are a believer. And also understand with great knowledge comes great accountability. I'm going to say that again in case you were asleep. With great knowledge comes great accountability. Do you know coming to church is dangerous? You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. Or you may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.